0: To the Hope Unlimited
1: Church podcast, we are so honored to connect with you, and we pray that you will be encouraged and inspired by this week's message. Now, speaking of Pastor Cole, he uh, he contacted me several weeks ago, and he said, "Saint Thomas," because that's what he calls me. He calls me Saint Thomas. Don't know why. He calls me Saint Thomas. Saint Thomas, you are very very old. (laughs) And you have been married for a long time. Longer than I've been alive. Which is true. 28 years. So he asked me to uh, speak on marriage today. And I'm honored to do so. I'm up here in all my old man glory uh, to talk about why marriage is is still important. Um, Before I do that, uh, I'm going to ask you to kind of humor me for a minute. Um and if I get emotional just stay with me. For some reason it seems like I always have something emotional to share when I get up here and I'm some kind of pansy. Um <laughs> But uh <laughs> I uh have something I want to talk about real quick with my family. And this is about family legacy and If uh, this isn't okay, feel free to rebuke me later in private or openly in front of the congregation. Whatever you want to do. I'm about honoring people that have impacted us, and um, I want to honor somebody today, uh, and you'll know at the end for why I'm doing it for a specific reason. Um, Some of you may have seen me post something about my grandfather this week on Facebook. Um, My grandfather, they're going to put a picture of him up, I think, in a minute, hard to see but that's the man right there uh he's 91 years old and I know it's hard to see but what you got there is a cake and it has 57 on it that's important because last week he wanted to celebrate he's 91 he wanted to celebrate the fact that he'd been saved for 57 years last week and uh he he had to make him a cake and it says forgiven and it's got a cross on it and um you know, that's something that, that I honor about him. And when I was growing up, I didn't, I didn't see him that often. He lived far away. I saw him maybe once every couple of years. But I can tell you I wouldn't be where I am today with the Lord if it wasn't for him. Um, that's kingdom legacy. And um, he, he got saved and became a, a Baptist pastor uh, not long after he got saved. And he's somebody I can say with no exaggeration that every single interaction I've had with him my entire life, he's always, and it'd be the same if he was here today talking to you, he's always said something about Jesus, every time. I've never seen anybody that walks for Jesus the way he has. He's a simple man, his life's not perfect, his doctrine ain't perfect, but his walk with the Lord is, is legit. And uh, so today I brought that up, um, a couple months ago, uh, he, he's he been in declining health, and a couple months ago, I asked him, because he's gotten to the point where he really can't see, and uh, a couple months ago, I asked him if I could have his Bible whenever he was ready to part with it, and uh, that's what what this is. And uh, He's Baptist, but if you notice, it's got, got a little Holy Ghost right there, right? He was kind of, what you call it, Bapticostal or Pentabaptist. I don't know what you call it, but anyways... That, that was him. When he would preach, he would, he would jump up and down and shout. And he would jump up on a pew every once in a while. He was wild, right? He was wild. So I've got his Bible up here today. Um, I used his Bible as I was preparing. Um, and uh, the reason this is significant is as I was preparing last night, I got a call from my mom that, Hospices come in and they give him one day to three weeks to live. And uh, it doesn't, uh, it's not lost on me that I was preparing a sermon as I got that call. Um, so I just want to honor him today and um, this is for, for my grandpa. I love him and uh, thank you guys for acknowledging me. of a wreck Uh, got about two hours of sleep but if you know me that's no factor (laughs) Um, just remember that if you've got people in your life that uh you feel like you need to honor don't wait don't wait don't wait till it's too late tell them how you feel about them all right so I'm gonna have some fun today regardless I don't know if you're going to we'll see Um, But before I get into the meat and the message, I'm going to chase a rabbit for a second. I want to talk about something that I've discovered concerning how the enemy operates. You've all heard the scripture out of Romans 8. If I preach and I don't mention Romans 8, you need to kick me out. Romans 8 that says God works everything for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose, right? Very familiar scripture. So scripture we usually relate to things like something bad happens to us, right? God's going to turn that and use that for good. But have you ever thought about that maybe the enemy does the same thing, but in reverse? So when he can, the enemy will work everything that's meant for good, even good things, together for evil according to his purpose and to try and destroy our love for the Father and our kingdom purpose. Then the enemy will come in to good things that were created by the Father, and he'll attack them with with brokenness and bad things. And when that bad fruit starts to come up from what's supposed to be a good thing, the enemy will then point to that very evil he's created. And then he'll try to turn and say, look, that thing, which is a good thing, is actually evil. It's like that bad kid in school, right? The bad kid in school that would talk the good kid into doing something. Right, Kelby? Like, that's probably you did that. The bad kid in in school that would talk the good kid into doing something, then as soon as he did it, he would point at him and tell on him, right? And then that kid would get in trouble. I bring that up because I think that the enemy does that with marriage. The enemy creates brokenness in people, which often leads to marriages full of bad fruit then the enemy will point at that fruit that he helped to create and then try to demonize this pillar of society called marriage. God himself instituted marriage at the beginning. Now, just for clarity, this is important. As the church, we are to be for the exposure of bad things. We are to be for the exposure of injustices and abuse. We want those things exposed, right? But we want them brought to the light, right? The answer is not found in hiding anything, but it's also not found in a cancel culture, right? That will find one piece of bad fruit on the tree and it chops down the whole tree and then it burns down the whole forest, right? That's not the answer either. Our enemy loves to create hidden chaos and pain in people's life. And then when the chaos brings bad fruit to light, he's going to then find a way to use the bad fruit that he created to create more chaos, more death, more destruction, and more division. That's just who he is. And I'm telling you today, don't fall for his devices, especially in the area of marriage and relationships and family. Now, I know the Christian thing to do, we're going to talk about marriage, I know the Christian thing to do at this point is to point the finger at media and popular culture and even governmental systems as the reasons the perception of maybe marriage and other biblical truths are starting to decline. And I'm somebody that fully agrees that those are the main weapons that are being used to push kind of an anti-biblical paradigm, but the real culprit at the original root of the breakdown of marriage and these other biblical truths was actually a powerless church. Now, some old folks like me would say, yeah, they were powerless because they didn't stand up when they should have, they didn't stand up for what was right. Uh, That's not the reason. What the reason was is they put perception over people. We have a habit of doing that as a church. And in many cases, the church unknowingly fostered this oppressive culture of abuse in things like marriage, especially with women. They, they would force people to cover things up. They would put things into hiding, right? They would force people to feel so uncomfortable. Like today, I'm trying to be vulnerable because vulnerability is key in family, in relationships, and marriages, and in the church. You have to be vulnerable, right? You need to be vulnerable with one another. But the church would cause people to put these religious masks on. Opposed to doing what they're supposed to do, which, create, which is creating a culture of liberation. They should be promoting wholeness and vulnerability. They were instead quick to declare sentences of judgment over those who violate rules instead of being the place where people could run to, where broken people could run to. To find mercy and compassion—that's supposed to be new every morning. The church valued appearance over deliverance. It, it valued keeping its hands clean over getting in the dirt with people. It it valued it valued really. I got to be careful. <laughs> And, and hear me, I'm not, I'm not trying to bash the church, right? I'm not trying to bash the church. I'm trying to send out a warning flare. I'm trying to teach us not to follow in those same steps. They would, the church would cast out people opposed to casting out the demonic oppression that was on them. They would guide people to the law opposed to guiding them to the heart of the one that fulfilled the law. The Western church of, say, 40, 50 years ago It had good intentions, right, but it had some bad theology and it unwittingly played right into the enemy's hands. The church saw that popular culture, and again, I'm speaking about 40, 50 years ago. Only a few of us were alive for that. Um, (laughs) The church saw that popular culture was beginning to have this massive influence that it couldn't control. And instead of trying to figure out why a sin-filled culture was more attractive than their wrath-filled Christ, they just built more walls, Right? preached hell a little hotter, never looking inward first. They were handicapped by generations of teaching that God was more of a judge than he was a father. Yeah, Christ is your savior, but he's also your slave master. Right? That's the way they would teach him. And that's not accurate. He was approachable for salvation, right, but other than that, he was distant. The perception that the world was given by the church was nothing but mixed messages. God loves you but he really hates most of the things about you. And he hates most of the stuff you do. And then they wondered why they were like, um, uh, no. <laughs> if you go back to the 80s specifically, before the 80s, really one of the things that the church was really good about slinging rocks at was divorce. That's not really a hot topic now, right? Is some in the South, but back in the day, man, that was bad. That was a scarlet letter, right? It was something that, that when you did that, you were treated very, very poorly. Um, now I want to be clear. I hate divorce. Hate it with a passion. I hate to see people give up on their marriages. Um, I think we should move heaven and earth before we, tr- we give up on our marriages. But I also believe that the church can come against things like divorce in every appropriate way possible while balancing it with an understanding that people don't stop being loved by God just because their marriages end. They don't have some type of leprosy, right? right? You don't have to look at them. They're not marked like Cain. It's not the unforgivable sin, right? We need to thank God, and a lot of the younger folks need to thank God that you're coming up in some cases in a church that stow- slowly started to be the hands of God, Opposed to being the hand that holds the gavel, that beats people down, right, with the rules and a judgmental God. The church, it's, it's not only called to expose the darkness, and it is called to that, but it's called to love those who are swallowed up in darkness. Yes. And the failing of the church all those years ago to those that were in darkness, combined with that overpowering culture that was rising through media and entertainment, it allowed the enemy to start to erode the perception and even the nature of what I think is one of the primary pillars of the church. And it's a pillar. It is the pillar of a stable society. And that pillar is marriage and family, which he spoke to earlier. So I believe Christ is the cornerstone of the church. The five-fold ministry is the foundation, right? But if you're looking for a pillar that keeps the roof from caving in, it's marriage. It's long-lasting marriage and family, but despite how important marriages are, stable marriages to a society, it's easy to see that many people today are beginning to kind of hate on marriage, right? They're starting to talk about the concept of marriage being in decline. It's an outdated institution. It's not relevant. It's not important, not significant marriage is that example of god taking or of the enemy taking a good thing right marriage is a good thing instituted by god he inserts brokenness in people bad fruit comes up and then he points at it says look at that that's bad the whole thing's bad and that's just not true the enemy's attack on marriage has created brokenness on a massive scale that's resulted in things like divorce fatherlessness and, and massive church hurt. So I'm going to take some time today, and I'm going to come against that perspective that seems to be gaining some steam in our culture that says long-lasting biblical marriage is no longer important or significant. So as a follower of Christ, or or maybe you know somebody that's kind of had this thought, like, what's what's so important about marriage anyways? I'm hoping I can... I can give you some things today to think about that will help with that question. So we're going to start by reading in Genesis 2. they They're going to put it on the screen. Genesis 2, 21 through 25. Genesis 2, 21 through 25. It says, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh around it. And from the rib, which the Lord God had taken from man, made he a woman, got that King James language, and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, because of this, therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, the man and his wife. And they were not ashamed. Naked, not ashamed. Let's go. (laughs) So the first thing I want you to see is that God, I told you I was going to have fun today, that God creates man, and at some point thereafter, he creates woman. And as soon as he creates the first woman, she is immediately called the wife of Adam. So point number one is, why is marriage so important? It's God's idea. It was and is God's idea. Regardless of where you fall in the story of creation, whether you think it was a detail of literal events that were going on or whether you think it was a story that is dictating what God wants us to know about his nature and the beginning of the story of mankind, no matter where you fall on that, it should be clear through what I just read that the concept of marriage and the two becoming one is of incredible importance since it's spoke of as the very first thing we see happen as soon as there's two people on the planet. As soon as there's two people on the planet, there's a marriage immediately. And just to reinforce that the story in the Old Testament holds weight, we see Jesus refer back to this specific narrative multiple times in the New Testament. In Mark 10, they're going to put that on the screen, we see Jesus being questioned about divorce, and this is Jesus' response But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast or cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. So here you see Christ Himself confirming that marriage is clearly a God idea. God creates man, He creates woman he immediately institutes the concept of marriage, immediately. I could stop the sermon right there and sit down because that makes my point alone. Marriage and family, you see it in the Old Testament. It's used all throughout, more than anything else, to tell the story of God and his relationship to man. And it started in the very first pages. Something else that you can see in the Old Testament is the destruction that can come when men and women step into that kind of intimacy outside of the marriage covenant. And listen, I'm not saying that good things can't come from relationships that are intimate, yet that have never actually had covenant marriage. Elements of good can come from any situation, because God's good. And he's got mercy, right? But more often than not, there's going to be some type of damage or collateral damage that happens when two people operate in that level of intimacy that are not justified outside of the marriage covenant. I'm not just talking about sex. Those sexual issues can lead to some of the most destructive areas in those types of relationships. But when relationships become intimate, they are going to birth things. They're going to. And when you birth things outside of covenant, you end up with Ishmael's. And Ishmael's birth outside of covenant will eventually go to war with the things you are called to actually birth inside of covenant. Wow. Now, if you don't know that story, you need to read your Bible. That's why it's important to read your Bible, right? You have to understand that story. So here's another scripture. It's um, fun and super popular, or that could be sarcasm. Um, But this kind of sums up what I said about marriage and intimacy outside of covenant. Scripture says, and I didn't give them this, so you'll just have to listen. Let marriage be held in honor above all. Let marriage be held in honor above all, but wait there's more and let the marriage bed be undefiled meaning pure for god will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous now sounds like one of those good old testament morality scriptures but the problem is that's in hebrews that's hebrews 13:4 and though we may not be sure 100% who wrote hebrews we are 100% sure that it's in the new testament so i know some people don't like that kind of talk um, It's too old-fashioned. I know marriage and purity, it's all outdated. But try telling Jesus that. When in the New Testament, he looked and he said, if a man looks at a woman that's not his wife with lust, he has committed adultery in his heart. Love that scripture. (laughs) So bottom line, if you aren't married to him or to her, you shouldn't be looking at them in a sexual way. And you dang sure shouldn't be putting your grubby little hands on them, right? <laughs> but, but Tom, Tom, you, you, you don't understand, right? No, I, I know every word to that song, right? I promise you. I understand that if those are the things you're partaking in, that you don't have the fruit of the Spirit called self-control. And you've went the way of the serpent in that you're twisting Scripture... To accommodate your unwillingness, to yield to it, that's what's going on. Cole's having a blast. Here's the thing about Christ that we don't seem to understand. He didn't lower the standard. he raised it. He went from focusing on the external fruit to making us deal with the internal root, right? It's another message. No, I'm kind of hitting you with some body blows, right? Hang in there. It's going to get worse. Just remember God loves you. I love you. We both love you too much to let you go on thinking that some of these things are just okay and that marriage is something that is just, oh, well, optional. It's not. So, since we have a church full of young people that have gotten married over the last three to five years or are going to get married over the next three to five years. Let's take a minute and have a little fun with this concept of leave and cleave, right? It says the man leaves his family, his mother and father, and cleaves to his wife. First of all, men, it doesn't say that this is your new mama, okay? This is your wife. You cleave to your wife. She ain't your mama, okay? She's your bride massive difference this means two things for men right she is not to be looked at as your maid okay you don't perceive her as your maid she might serve you and I think she should you should serve one another right she might serve you but she's not your servant and on the flip side of that wait a minute she is also not to hold authority over you like your mother does She's not your boss. She's your wife. Let's go. <laughs> your wife is your equal. She's not your mama. She's not your boss. Boss. She needs you to be a man, but neither of you need to be a doormat. And ladies, just because some men and husbands are misogynistic pigs that consistently try to make women their slaves... Because that's what we do. That does not negate the fact that there are a few elements within an old school perspective of marriage that have value. So you can continue to take counsel on Facebook from that lady who has been married twice and is working on her third husband. You can continue to do that. Or you can look back in history, right, and see the things that had value and implement that. Anyway, um, back to Scripture. (laughs) Scripture says leave and cleave, right? He shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. Cleave means he shall bind himself more strongly to his wife than he did to his father and mother. Cleave denotes a union of the firmest kind, The word is taken from the concept of gluing. It means that the two are so firmly adhered to one another that nothing can separate them. It's a very purposeful word. The marriage connection is meant to be the most tender and the most intimate of all human relations, more tender than even the parent and the child, and it was designed to be permanent. So leave and cleave. Young people, hear that clearly. Leave and cleave. Time for some more ranting. Young lady who is newly married, your mama don't call the shots anymore. Good old mom-in-law needs to take a seat. Young man who is newly (laughs) married. Appreciate that clap in the back, brother. You're telling on yourself. Um, Young man who is newly married, your daddy shouldn't be bailing you out of trouble every time you turn around. You leave and you cleave. Now, the word leave is not exactly complicated. You ready? Leave in the Greek means leave. It means get out. That's what it means, get out. So I'm not saying that they're not unique situations where it's wisdom or it makes sense to stay under your parents' roof for a while. Perfectly fine, right? But that should be a short period of time. And if it's not, then you're not really ready for marriage anyways. And if you don't like that, take it up with God. Because what did he say? leave right now so the parents in the room don't get upset with me leaving doesn't mean that you have to technically move far away that's not what that means at all and it also doesn't mean that you shouldn't have the voice of your parents in your life specifically if your parents have a life and a marriage worth following right so don't get mad at me parents when I say this but if their life and their marriage is not worth following, they probably don't need to have a lot of influence in your life, right? You don't want to be emulating that kind of fruit, correct? But understand that you have to leave. Regardless, you have to leave from under that authority, and to actually be able, and you have to do that to be actually be able to cleave to your wife in the way this was describing. You must build your life together as husband and wife, while also utilizing all the resources of wisdom that are around you. The bottom line is your parents should only be deeply in your business if you both, key, if you both actually desire for them to be in your business because they have lives and marriages that are worth following. Everybody okay? Okay. (laughs) So in Scripture, we see God started everything with a family and a garden, right? Think about that. God could do whatever he wanted. And the picture that he gives us is God forms mankind from the dirt, right? Right? He fills mankind with his very breath. In the beginning, man had the essence of God, right? Then later, instead of also making the woman from the dirt, he makes her from the bone of Adam himself. So men are made of dirt. <laughs> so when women say men are dirt bags, eh, nah, you're right. But don't get too cocky because what are women made out of? A rib, right? So y'all just a bunch of boneheads. Oh, just kidding. Kidding. Jokes. I got jokes. I got dad jokes for days. Boom. Dad jokes. Take them with you. They're free. So in, the, so in the beginning, here stands God. Three in one. You've got God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then suddenly after the creation of the family, you've got God, man, and woman. So think about before Adam. God was never really alone because each person of the Trinity had each other. They were All one, yet not alone. Interesting concept. God then replicates a similar pattern. It's not the exact same, but it's similar in mankind. By taking mankind, who was all one, right? Man was all one, he was alone, and then he made another being out of the one. Both beings, the man and woman, the man and the woman, were created in the image of God and made from one flesh. But then God says the two will again become one as they step into the marriage covenant as husband and wife. So marriage unites mankind again, where the husband and wife, now like God, can be one yet not alone. So if you're married, you're one flesh. You're one, but you're not alone. It's a picture of intimacy in its ultimate form. It's a picture of the Trinity. I could go on and on about why marriage is God's idea, um, we'll keep it moving, and we'll go to the, the next point. And the next point is the second reason why I think marriage is the most important and critical thing really for us to come in and be a pillar and be foundational to the church and hold up um, the, the institution of the church is that God uses it as a way to refine us. Marriage was designed to refine. God may be the refiner, but the number one tool, in my opinion, that he uses to refine us in many cases is marriage. Marriage will expose who you really are. Marriage will come after the imposter in you in a way that you can't hide from. You look at things like, I always say this, power, money, alcohol, right? And marriage are the great amplifiers of mankind, right? When you give yourself to those things the real you is eventually going to bubble up. And other than getting in the word and praying, there are very few things on this planet that can show you your strengths and your weaknesses, like marriage. The culture is kind of pushing you that marriage is not really important beyond it being a way to make you happy. It's a way to complete you. If you happen not to be strong enough to live your life alone, right? It's, it's, it's a way for you Notice you to receive the satisfaction that you deserve in the areas of romance, sex, emotional stimulation, desired companionship. Culture says getting married is what you do when you find this feeling of love so strong that you wanna make it permanent. Problem is that love that you need for a long-lasting marriage isn't a feeling at all. It's a decision. Real love that lasts is a decision relationships that are based mainly on how we feel are destined to disappoint. And they if they don't evolve, and a lot of people get married because of feelings, and then later they decide, okay, this is it. I'm going to love this person regardless, right? That's great, right? If you don't do that and you don't evolve that way, your marriage is going to dissolve. Now, relationships obviously start with feelings, I'm not anti-feelings. Feelings are good. Emotions are good. They serve a purpose. They can be wonderful, and they're needed. But they're never to be the primary driver for major decisions in our life, right? Relationships start with feelings, but if you don't convert those feelings into, into a decision to love at some point, then five or ten years down the road, when you don't have those butterflies that are the size of T-Rex, you know floating around in your stomach or and and this this can happen right i know this isn't speaking in faith but down the road 10 15 years when you wake up and there's mornings you look over there and you might not even really like that person today that happens right anybody's been married a long time is going to tell you that what are you going to what are you going to go off of (laughs) katie got jokes what (laughs) what are you going to go off of then your feelings What are you going to do when they hurt you? What are you going to do when they disappoint you? What are you going to do when they don't fulfill your needs the way the demon of comparison says they should? What are you going to rely on, right? What are you going to lean back into? I believe that many marriages fail because unlike Jesus, we don't make a decision to love despite flaws. We make a decision to abandon because of our feelings. And if you haven't noticed, I was trying to push that all culture is telling us to worry about self. Worry about self. The problem is that marriage is designed to show us how to die to self. Not in a destructive or a toxic way, in the ways of Jesus. It's very clear. I shared this quote up here before, last year at February. Timothy Keller said that marriage should bring you into confrontation with yourself more than it should bring you into confrontation with your spouse. That's exactly why I say marriage is designed to refine. When you come face to face, when you're with your personal dysfunction through marriage, you're either going to let those things rob you of your marriage or you're going to let God work through your marriage to refine you in those areas. Now, the main reason I'm still married today is because my wife and I have been willing to let marriage refine us, unlike really anything else. My wife is a perfect picture of a spouse that strives to be selfless while she has consistently stepped into more and more wholeness through her communion with Christ. When it comes to spouses, my wife is kind of like a cheat code, right? In, a, in like a sports video game. For those of you, babe, if you don't understand what that means, I'm saying you're the Michael Jordan of spouses. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Let's go. And for me... I definitely would not be standing here today if I didn't let Christ use my marriage to refine me. I made my most significant decision to follow Christ about 11 years into my marriage after he used marriage to show me that there was so many things in me that were not Christ-like. And he continues to use my marriage daily to help me conquer areas where, conquer areas about things that usually destroy marriages. He deals with me about selfishness daily he deals with me about identity issues daily so i thank god that he uses marriage to refine us so my opinion is nothing else can refine you like marriage the next greatest refiner i would say is probably parenting but that's different because what parenting is like is if it doesn't kill you it'll make you stronger it's a joke (laughs) relax amen Stephen. So far, I've only given you two reasons, right? There's a plethora of reasons why marriage is important. First reason was marriage is God's idea. The second reason is it's defined, it's, it's designed to refine us, excuse me. I really wanted to deep dive into the third reason, but I, I just don't have time. So I do want to touch on it briefly, and maybe at some point I'll come back and unpack it. But this third reason is really the most beautiful and the most mysterious of all. And it's really the one we probably know the least about. So the third reason that marriage is important is that God uses marriage to unveil the depths of Christ's love for us. He uses the parallels of a healthy biblical marriage to the feelings that Christ has for us. And that's not only amazing, but if you really get into it, it's controversial, it's uncomfortable, And it leads us into this depth of intimacy that most people don't even understand are there with God. Think about the fact, of course, God, he wants to relate to us as father, which is amazing. But he also wants to have this depth of intimacy with us that only comes through intimate covenant relationships like marriage. So as I begin to wrap up, the worship team, you guys can come on up. I don't want you to lose focus as they're coming up, because I'm going to share a couple quick scriptures with you that just kind of solidify that marriage is important to God. Therefore, it should be important to us. So we have a God that said things like this to us in Isaiah. These are the type of scriptures that you don't hear very often. He said, For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. Later in Isaiah, he says, As the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall I rejoice over thee. Listen to this scripture in Ezekiel where the prophet is quoting God. He says, when I passed by you again and I looked upon you, I spread my wings over you and covered your nakedness. Yes, I swore an oath to you and entered into a covenant with you and you became mine. That's all covenant marriage language. God says beautiful things like that to us throughout scripture if we can just dive into them, begin to understand his analogies and have an ear to hear. The entirety of scripture speaks of different family elements in the natural realm that are giving language and symbology to God's relationship with man in the spiritual realm. You've got fathers and sons, husbands and wives, brothers and sisters family lines that he describes. They can all tell you things about God and how he feels about us and how he wants to relate to us. I think there's two main stories, really. If you break it all down, there's two main stories unfolding in Scripture on the earth. And we hear a lot about the first, but not a lot about the second. One story is about a father that's reclaiming a world full of his children that are in exile. He's reaching out and pulling in the prodigal sons and daughters. We've heard about that one. But the other story is about a bridegroom who is continually wooing his bride as she is being prepared for their eventual eternal union. You have a father restoring sons and daughters and you have the Christ preparing his bride through the work of the Holy Spirit for the union where two become one. God began mankind's story with a wedding. Jesus launches his ministry at a wedding where he turns water to wine. Then, when mankind's story inside of time ends, we're given this picture out of Revelation 19. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride, which is us, has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. Revelation 19, 7 and 8. Our story starts with God and a marriage, a marriage covenant birthed in a garden paradise. And our story ends similarly to where it began, at a wedding feast in a paradise where Christ and his bride become one forevermore. We have a God that loves us in ways that we can't even begin to comprehend. But since he's often used marriage as a way to try to express that love, and he opened calls us his bride, I think it's only appropriate that we give honor and respect to the marriage covenant. And we do our best to ensure that it's never looked at as common or insignificant. Amen? Amen. Pastor?
0: Come on, y'all stand to your feet and give it up for Tom this morning. I was sitting over there and I was thinking of Pastor Tom and Missy and their involvement at Hope Unlimited Church and just how much it's meant to this group of people here and how beautiful it is. I look around and I see a a beautiful church family being formed because you have people like Tom and Missy. You have people like Jean and Wesley, Casey and April King that we can look at and say this foundation that this pillar in our lives it's possible to establish it's possible to establish you know sometimes i think when you look at when you look in scripture and um you look at people who are teachers right teachers don't just have to stand behind a, a pulpit and and preach to you they teach you about a way of life that's possible and i'm thankful it's Specifically, as a primarily young congregation that we have people that we can look at and we can say, it is possible. And it's not just possible for three or four years. It's not just possible for 10 years. It's not just possible for 15 years, but it's possible for 20, 30, 40 years until we die. And one of the things that's so beautiful about this place here is is I know in my heart that as we as we grow in depth with Jesus as a family here as we grow numerically here God is going to send people for people who are young like myself and like many of you here or watching online to look at to look at and say here's you another example here's you another what here's you another example because Like he said, if we become a church, if we were to become a church that covered up all the stuff that's wrong in marriages or whatever and we never dealt with those things, well, I I would for sure not be the pastor here. (laughs) But um, we're a church where we can look, where we can come into confrontation with ourselves and we can go to other people here and we say, this is what I'm in confrontation with right now in myself so that I can become a better husband, a better father, a better leader, a better pastor for me. And for some of you, it's, it's to become a better husband, a better father, a better wife, a better mother. It's to become who God has created you to be because there are people. I don't know if you've ever been... Or, or seen what's happening in our kids' department at Hope Unlimited, but some weeks it is wild over there. <laughs> wild. And there are people who are over there who are looking at us. This is what generational legacy is about. And you have to have pillars in your community. And I wasn't even going to do this, but Gene uh, Wesley... Casey, April, Tom, Missy. Can y'all come forward real quick? Just come and stand. I just want y'all to come stand in the front, just real quick. And um, I just want you to stretch your hands towards these three couples. And we're going to pray for them today. We're going to honor them. We're going to pray for them and we're just gonna thank God for them today for being marriages that and people that we can follow. And I know this is usually you bring a church staff up to do this, but this is this is where this is how a church family is built. It's not because you have a super talented staff. And so if you would just stretch your hands towards these three couples right now. Lord, we thank you right now for these three people, these three couples that set an example for us to follow, that are a group of people that we can follow in our marriages, that we can learn from in our relationships and in our lives. Lord, I am thankful today for this for these, these, these people standing here today. I'm thankful today and every day that we can follow them, that if we need an example to look at, we can look at them, and we can thank God for them. And Lord, I thank you that when, when people left that were around their age, they stayed. They stayed here. And they say, we see a group of people who need us. And God, we're thankful that here they have purpose. They operate in power. They operate in love. They have wisdom that we can learn from. And we're thankful that they stayed. They stayed. And God, I'm thankful that we can look at them and we can say we can follow those people. We can follow those people. We can learn from those people. We can have those people tell us some things that we need to work on. Jesus, today we honor You for sending us these these couples. And we thank You for all You're doing in our church, in their lives, in our lives, through their walks with You. Jesus, we love you, and we thank you for these couples today. I pray that you would bless them. You would continue to bless them. You would continue to visit them with just encounters from you. And Father, I pray that they would be more than willing to father and mother, a group of people in a church that need it. And Lord, we thank you for their yes to be a part of this family today their yes today to be a part of this family in Jesus name. Amen. Can we honor them today as they are up here? I wasn't planning on doing that, but I just kind of felt to do it as I was up here. So um, yeah. So don't forget if you're a first time guest with us today, stop by connect point on the way out, get your free gift. Um, and if you see, if you're a part of this church and you see these three, uh, these three couples. Tell them thank you. Tell them thank you. Because you can look at their life and you can follow them. And we're thankful for
1: Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to give, please visit hopeunlimited.church. To stay connected, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Hope Unlimited Church.